the, the title of the message is Mountains and Valleys. And this is a, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a word that the Lord really started to lay on my heart uh, back um, the last time that Pastor Beth spoke, um, which, by the way, I think Pastor Brad and Pastor Beth are actually following online, so hello to you guys. Um, you guys can keep them in prayer. As again, I said that they are in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, helping raise funds for Convoy of Hope, which does amazing things around the world. But the Lord started to, to speak to my heart as she was preaching. She was preaching from, uh, from the book of Hosea, and her message was on a door of hope. And uh, I'm not going to re-preach what she, what she spoke, but I do want to just read the passage of Scripture that she spoke from as just kind of a refresher or for anybody who wasn't here, uh, and just kind of like read that, that verse that she used. So she used uh, Hosea, it's the book of Hosea, starting with chapter 2, verses 14. And this is Jesus, or God, speaking to the nation of Israel through his prophet Isaiah, or Hosea. Excuse me. He said, therefore, I am now going to allure her, I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Accor a door of hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the day she came up out of Egypt. Now, like I said, I'm not going to re-preach uh, what, what she already, her sermon that she gave, but just as kind of a recap, you know, this is the Lord speaking to Israel, and what I found interesting, what stood back to me is that he said that I'm going to lead her into the wilderness. So God said, I'm going to lead them into the wilderness. And I found that fascinating. And, and, and as, as that kind of portion of the scripture really caught my attention, the Lord started speaking to my heart about what is our attitude and our mentality when we're going through the valley. When we're going through seasons of trial and tribulation, what is our attitude when we, when we come about those, those circumstances? As Christians, do we walk through moments of hardship and trial, do we walk through those times begrudgingly, or do we see it as an opportunity? Do we see it as an opportunity for growth? And, and so much of it will come back, and how we walk through those moments comes back to our attitude as believers. If I'm being completely honest with you, I've grown up in the church. Um, I've spent the last third of my life now has been in full-time ministry. And my experience is that even as believers... We oftentimes, when, when things aren't going the way we expect, we oftentimes fall into a state of negativity. We aren't, aren't typically very optimistic. And so, <coughs> excuse me, so I believe that that needs to change. Now, I was, uh, I was thinking of the song, do you guys, are you guys familiar with the song? It's been out for a couple of years now, um, God of the Hills and the Valleys. Right? Okay, if you're, not, if you're not familiar with that one, maybe if you've been around the church for a little while, you'll remember back in like, I don't know, circa 2002, 2005-ish, you remember the song, Blessed Be Your Name. Right? Blessed Be Your Name. And the, and the, and the, the bridge, it goes, you know, um, you give and take away, you give and take away, my heart will choose to say, Blessed Be Your Name. And the whole theme of the song, The God of the Hills and Valleys, is that I will choose to be thankful regardless of whether I'm on the mountaintop or if I'm in the valley. And I think, I always found it amusing because I, I think when we, when we sing that song, Blessed Be Your Name, is always everybody's clapping, everybody has smiles on their faces, and then you get to the bridge, and you give and take away. And I think that's how our attitude should be, but I don't think it is. You know, I think it's something that we know in our head that we're supposed to be thankful regardless of our circumstance, but our attitude and the position of our heart often reflects something very different. And so uh, my goal this morning is that we're going to maintain a heart of thankfulness, but I think one of the first things that we have to realize is that what we associate as being good and bad or positive and negative in our life is not necessarily what God associates as being good, bad, positive, or negative. 
we kind of have this habit of thinking that us as finite beings, right, in comparison to the God who created the universe, somehow we know what's best for our life. And we know the things that shouldn't be happening in, in our life because it's simply not fair. And somehow we've, we've gained more wisdom than the God of the universe in our, let's, say, let's call it 20 to 80 years, right? And so I think one of the things that we first have to do is, is realize that what we associate as good and bad is not necessarily what God associates as being good and bad. To, uh, just, a, just a simple example, a quick example. Uh, my, uh, you know, think, of, think of your kids, right? If you have kids, think of your kids. If you're a kid or you're, you're a teenager, you're a young adult, think of, you know, think of your life and your relationship with your parents and how sometimes you guys think you know what's best for your life. But mom and dad seem to have a different idea, right? And they just can't seem to figure out why their way of doing things just isn't the best way for you. Well, my, my youngest son, Jesse, he's two, and he loves food. It's one of his favorite things to do is eat. He is the reason we had to put a lock on our refrigerator. I'm not joking. We never had this problem with the other two, but with Jesse, as soon as he was mobile, you'd hear like, like or Gabe would come up, and Gabriel, my oldest son, his big thing is, Mom, Jesse's getting into mischief, and you walk in the kitchen, the door's open, and he's like cliffhanger on the shelves reaching for whatever he can grab. Um, well, the other day, or well, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Beth, because she's awesome and she is always willing to sugar up your kids, after church was over, there was like a whole box of donuts left over. And I look over, and she, she hands it to my middle son, Levi, and she's like, here, take these home. And Levi's sitting here with a whole box of donuts on his lap with a big grin. He's like, I got a box of donuts. I'm like, you can have one donut. So we take the box of donuts home. The boys eat lunch. And, uh, and after that, you know, they're playing. Me and, me and my wife, Haley, we're, we're sitting in the living room talking. And the next thing I know, here comes Jesse. His arm's like this, and there's like five donuts in his arms. And he just walks over with a big smile on his face, and he leans them over, puts them on the couch, and kind of takes one and starts to gnaw on it. And me and Haley are like, are you kidding me? So I walk over, and I take, the, I take four. I let him have one, I think. Or maybe I took them all. I don't remember. But he kind of looks at me like, hey, those were mine. I was going to eat those. And in his frame of reference, having five donuts is a really good, beneficial thing for his life. But as a parent, I can see the whole picture, right? I can see that that's not going to be great to have like 5,000 calories of sugar. You know, it's not going to be great for your health. It's probably not going to be great for your teeth. It's going to cause cavities. And so there's going to be moments in my kids' lives where I can actually see a greater picture. I can see a start. I can see a finish. And God is the same way with our lives. He sees the beginning and the end. And things that we, thought, that we feel are going to be good, he recognizes as being unhealthy. And there's going to be moments that we recognize as a hardship, as a trial, and as simply not fair. And he's saying, no, it's actually for your overall growth. So if we can change our mindset and realize that not every valley is a negative thing, not every valley is an attack of the enemy, right? There are certainly those times. But not every valley is an attack of the enemy. I feel that we can approach them with a different mentality. Now, for the rest of what we're going to talk about, I believe that we have to have just a foundational truth this morning. And here's that foundational truth. God is good, period. Okay, I'm going to say it again. God is good, period. Why don't you guys say it with me? Say, God is good, period. Okay, now the period is not redundant. I believe it's necessary because oftentimes we'll say, God is good, or I know God is good, but... Finances have just been really tight lately. 
I know God is good, but man, my family life just seems to be struggling. I just can't seem to keep things together. God is good, but I just, I haven't been able to get that promotion. God is good, but man, I, I feel like I haven't been able to hear his voice in a long time. And that word, but, disqualifies the fact that you've said God is good. Because in that moment, you're saying, I know what I'm supposed to say, but here's what I really think and what I really feel. And we elevate our feelings and emotions and what we see with our natural eyes above the fact that God is good. So if God is the same yesterday, today, and forever, he never changes, then we have to establish who he is, what his nature is, and what that means in our life. And if God is good, period, then that means that even in trying circumstances, even in moments of struggle, there's still a purpose and a plan for our lives, and he hasn't left us or forsaken us. Amen? So we can't disqualify that God is good with the word but. Now, before we move on, we're just going to kind of define our terms when we're talking about mountains and valleys this morning. And this isn't like Webster's Dictionary, but this is just how we kind of associate it um, as, as kingdom people. So a mountain, we typically would see it as a place of victory, a place of encounter, a place of achievement, a place where everything just seems right. Now, how many of you have ever uh, hiked up the side of a mountain? How many of you have ever like, been on the top of a mountain? Like four, five, six K. How many of you have ever seen a picture of a mountaintop? Does that get us closer to everybody? Right? Cool. So if you've ever been on the top of a mountain, man, it can be one of the most peaceful things you've ever experienced. If you've had to go through the, 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 the trial of walking up and hiking up that mountain, it can often feel like achievement. But when you get to the top, man, it just feels like everything is right. It feels like you're on top of the world. Or even if you've just simply seen a picture, man, you, you just get, a, you get a, a, a portion of just the majesty of what you're experiencing. And oftentimes, that's how we tend to associate the good moments in our Christian walk. You know, we, we see ourselves as being, being on, on, on top of the mountain, on top of the world. Everything's going good. Family's going good. Work is going good. I'm hearing the Lord clearly. You know, we might often associate it with, with uh, Moses being on the mountaintop, and he's having this amazing encounter with God for 40 days and 40 nights. He's seen God face to face, right? He's speaking to him as a man speaks to another man. For 40 days and 40 nights, Moses gets to be in this encounter. So we recognize all throughout God's word that mountains often equal encounter with God, and so that's why we typically uh, associate them the same in our lives. Now, valleys, on the other hand, we typically see them as a, as a place of struggle, a place with a lack of vision, a place of grumbling and complaining, a place of feeling inadequate. But, and here's my disqualifying statement, it can also be a place of growth and of spiritual education if we allow it to be. So our goal this morning is going to be to get ourselves to a place where we can maintain a heart of thankfulness and a heart of faith regardless of the season, regardless of the trial, and regardless of whether or not we can see the hand of God in it. Now, my next thought, and really it's kind of, kind of three thoughts that we'll, that we'll go into a little bit more, but it's this. It's that valleys are impartial, valleys are inevitable, and valleys are purposeful. I believe that those are three characteristics of a valley that we have to understand if we're going to continue forth. That they're impartial, they're inevitable, and that they are purposeful. So hitting the first one, that valleys are impartial. It doesn't matter whether you're rich, poor, a man, a woman, if you're young, if you're not so young, notice the wisdom in the verbiage there. It doesn't matter if you're red, yellow, black, and white. We're all precious in Jesus' sight, but we're all going to face trials, tribulations, and walk through valleys. Once we understand that, that valleys are impartial, when we stop trying to, to skirt them, we can change our attitude. And if you don't believe me, how many of you have ever been through at least one valley in your life? 
boy, a bunch of you guys are lying. I need to figure out what you guys are doing. Valleys are impartial. Here's just a few, a few scriptural proofs for that, and there's many. There's literally dozens and dozens of awesome promises of trial and tribulation throughout the word. But here's the first one, John 16, verse 33. It says this, it says, These things I have spoken to you, this is Jesus speaking, it said that in me you may have peace, in the world you will have tribulation. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Then let's look at this one, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 10. It says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. That sounds awesome. Sounds really positive. Looking for someone to devour. Resist him standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. So now we've got global, right? We've got this global picture of, of people that are suffering for the kingdom and the God of grace, of all grace, who calls you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. Now, one thing that I do want to point out is I think that this verse gives us just a little bit of a glimpse in, in what, how God sees our struggle. See, we often see struggle as being these long seasons, and they can seem very long. But God, in the scope of our 70, 80, 90 years on this earth, he sees the scope of eternity, of eternity, and he says that it's just suffering for a little while. So if we can get God's perspective, and this doesn't mean that God is not concerned with our suffering. It's not to say that he's un, not compassionate and not feeling, but he also sees the beginning from the end, and he recognizes the reality of the situation. He's above, he's outside of time, right? So if we can kind of get God's mindset and realize that even if we were to suffer every day of our life, because we know the King of kings and the Lord of lords, we have an amazing eternity. And so suffering on this earth is very temporary. The third verse that I'm going to share is Romans 5, verses 3 through 5. It says, not only so, but we also glory, or we praise God in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame. But God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, I love this verse because this shows us that suffering, that there's actually fruit to be gained from suffering. If we're willing to go through this process, if we're willing to allow it to work what it needs to work, that suffering will actually produce perseverance and perseverance will produce character and character produces hope. So there's actually something to be gained even in the negative seasons in our life, whether we like it or not. To the next point, valleys are inevitable. James chapter 1, verse 2, it says this. It says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Again, not count it all joy if, not count it all joy just in case, but count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Don't you love the negative promises in God's word? Don't you love that? But here's what I do love is that all, in all three of the scriptures that we just read, and we'll see it in this one as well in just a moment, there's always the promise of God's goodness. There's always the promise of his faithfulness. Now, valleys are inevitable. The, word, the, the, the phrase that the Lord put on my heart really, the, kind of the first thing that he spoke to my heart as Pastor Beth was speaking a couple months ago, is the Lord said this. He said, valleys are the foundation of the mountain. Without the valley, there is no mountain. The mountain has to be built on something, right? Now, it might seem like a little bit of a duh statement, right? But, but if the valley is the foundation of the mountain, then it must mean that it's necessary. It must mean that it's necessary. 
I'm going to change the, the, the nature allegory for just a moment um, to reference back to, to something the Lord spoke to my heart just a couple years in ministry. You know, other than, other than mountains and valleys, uh, the, other, the other thing that we really like to you know, equate our Christian walk to is farming, right? Producing fruit. And uh, I, I told my wife I was, I was a bit frustrated in ministry, and I just said, you know, I feel like I, feel like I have plowed and plowed and plowed, and I've sweated, and I've worked, and I've plowed some more, and I feel like I've seen this little season of, of fruit, this little season of harvest, and then it's like I've got to go back to the plow and back to the work, and I'm like, the season of fruit, it's just like it comes and then it goes, and it's like the Lord spoke to me. He's like, uh-huh. How does a farm work? You plow, and you plant, and you water, and you reap the harvest, but then you've got to go back to work. And he spoke that to my heart. It was kind of like all of a sudden this, this realization that, that the work doesn't stop. And mountains and valleys are, are very similar in the fact that if you get to the top of a mountain, what do you see? You see more valleys. And if we realize that we're not meant to camp out on the mountaintop, we realize that that means that even though we've just gone through a valley and now we've finally gotten to the top of the mountain, we're going to have to go through another valley. Valleys are inevitable. It's part of life. But there's another glory to be experienced. There's another mountain to be taken. And here's the good news. God actually created you to conquer territories. He created you to conquer mountains. So if he created you to conquer the mountain, then he created you to conquer the valley. Amen? So there's always going to be another valley. <coughs> Excuse me. We don't typically get to stay on the mountain. Right? Moses had to come off the mountain after 40 days. If we look at the story of the, uh, when Jesus, the transfiguration in Matthew 17... Uh, if you're not familiar with it, Jesus, he takes uh, Peter, James, and John up a mountain, and, uh, and Moses and Elijah, they descend in bodily form. And the light of God, it shines on Jesus' face, and God speaks, and he says, this is my, my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And Peter, recognizing the, the significance of the moment, Peter speaks up and he says, he says Jesus, let's, let's set up tents for Moses and for Elijah. She, Peter's thinking, man, we should camp out here. This is a good place to be. You know, we should hang out. And Jesus says, no. That's, we're not, we're not going to hang out here. We're going to go back down the mountain. And I have to wonder, you know, when, when, when you're Peter, you're seeing Moses and Elijah. I mean, you've got God speaking. Moses and Elijah, these prophets of old, these guys that you read about from the time that you're a little bitty Jew. And, and you're thinking, I'm seeing these guys face to face. This probably seems like a pretty cool place to hang out, right? But Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, he says, no, we've got to go back down. We've got ministry. We've got work to do. And in the same way, Moses, when he spent 40 days and 40 nights with God, he probably didn't want to go back to the complaining Israelites that were down in the valley. I mean, if it were me and you, and we had the opportunity, we had the option, okay, we could be in life with troubles and struggles and trials and, and people nagging us and complaining, or we could just spend time with God and His glory and lightnings and thunderings and cool things happening. We'd probably pick spending time with God, right? But God's actually got a mission for us, and that is that we're supposed to bring other people, we're supposed to bring other people into the kingdom and help lead people out of the valley experiences, Right? So we've got to recognize that even once we achieve that mountain, that there's going to be another valley that we're meant to walk through. We've got to come down, but it's the, it's the lessons that we learn in the valley before that help us fight the battles ahead. Amen? Valleys are purposeful. James chapter 1, going back to James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, we're going to read the rest of, of what I had in that verse. But it says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. 
But let patience have its work, its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Now, this is a very similar theme to what we read in Romans, but I love the fact that, that we're, we're, we're given a, an insight into knowing that there's actually something to be produced that can come out of the trials. It's not just a place that we're meant to waller. It's not just a place that we're meant to be and suffer, but that there can actually be spiritual growth that takes place in it because it, it produces patience, and patience, we need to have, let it have its perfect work. Without struggle, if we think about any... Any athlete, right, that's been to the Olympics, whether they, whether they get the gold or one of the medals or not, even just being there is, is an incredible honor, right? We understand that in order for them to be there, there were different trials, there were circumstances, there were setbacks, there were disappointments, there was pain and agony that all had to come for them to achieve even just getting to be part of the Olympics, right? Right? I mean, we understand that to be true with any professional athlete. We understand that to be true with any successful person, that there was going to be times where there was failure, there was going to be times of hurt and pain and suffering, and we recognize that when it, comes to, when it comes to the world and how the world operates, but for some reason when it comes to our Christian walk, I feel like we think it should be all easygoing and never having any kind of trouble. We feel like it should just be kind of like fast track, right, the easy life. You know, growing up, I heard so many ministers, and I think they did such a disservice to, to people when, when a salvation message was being preached or the, the, the opportunity to respond to the gospel was being given. So many times you would hear something said like, you know, are, are, are you in a mess in your life? Does nothing seem to be going your way? Does your life seem to be a wreck? Just come to Jesus and everything gets better. Now, if you've served Jesus any length of time, you recognize that that is baloney. Your position, your eternity is secured, but Jesus actually promised the opposite. He said, if you love me, people are going to hate you. Nowhere does God promise that you're going to have an easy, cushy life just because you've come to know him, right? He actually promises the opposite. We've read four or five verses that actually promise that we're going to have trials and tribulations. And so what I would see happen, even as a young kid, you see people that come, they come broken and they're, they're, they're given this opportunity and, and it's presented in a way that they think, okay, here's, here's my way out of my mess. And whenever they, they come to know the Lord and then life is still a wreck and there's still problems and there's still issues, it's kind of, it's kind of upsetting. And I saw people walk away from the Lord. But if we can actually have a better understanding that God is actually, he's chosen to walk through our mess with us, then we can actually walk through it more gracefully. If you've, I'm sure you've all heard the, 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 the statement that it's easier said than done, right? Or maybe you remember in science class learning about butterflies or caterpillars, and they, they build a cocoon, and then they come out as a butterfly, right? But I don't know about you, but I was always told, it's like, if, if, you, if you help the, the, the butterfly out of the cocoon, and when it's in that season of, of stretching out and breaking out, if you help it out, you're actually going to damage it, because it's in that moment of struggle that the, that the butterfly actually gains the strength that it needs to fly. And recognizing that valleys are an, actually an opportunity for us to grow and strengthen our spiritual muscles is something that I believe is vital to our walk. The valleys that God, that, that God will bring us through actually give us the opportunity to learn under his, his skillful guidance and his instruction what we need to learn for actual attack from the enemy. Because I do believe that there's a difference. There's a difference between valleys that God leads us through simply for learning and, and valleys that, that of, of attack where the, where the enemy is persecuting us. Now, um, I, I have a story that I was going to share, and, and 
does anybody know what Royal Rangers is? Anybody familiar with Royal Rangers? If you're not, basically just think Christian Boy Scouts, right? I grew up, I grew up in Royal Rangers, and every year we'd go to summer camp, and we'd, we'd take part in what was called a High Adventure Academy. And when you're like, you know, 9, 10, when you're younger, you're just, you're there, you're working on merit badges or whatever. But as you get older, they, they start to move into like working on survival skills and camping and how to, how to build fires and, you know, knowing, uh, knowing how to do uh, different first aid and things like that. But the group that, as you're a kid, the group that, that always stood out was the, was the oldest guys. They were called Pathfinders. And they had these awesome looking black berets. And man, when you saw them like coming through camp, like you were just like, you know, you're a 10-year-old kid, you're just like, those guys are just the coolest. Um, but I remember the year that I got to be in Pathfinders, and uh, the, basically the entire week you're leading up to um, a mock search and rescue mission. Um, it's kind of somewhat, somewhat notorious that everybody has, all the guys that have gone through it kind of all, all have their, their stories about, about what took place and all the, all the bad stuff that happened. Um, but there's always a, a mock search and rescue mission. And it may be that, you know, hey, there's a plane that's been down and there's several survivors that we know of. Or there's a group of hikers that got lost. So the, the situation always changes. But all week you're preparing for this, for this final mission. And so you're in the classroom a lot learning, uh, again, learning CPR, learning first aid. You're learning, uh, you're learning navigation, how to read topographic maps, how to use a compass, how to use a GPS. Um, but the thing that you, that you realize really quick um, is that, you know, book knowledge is only going to get you so far. It's, it's really easy to be in that moment in a classroom and say, okay, yeah, I, I get how to, how to, how to work, work this out on this map. I get how to use the compass. That all makes sense, right? But thankfully, uh, in, in their infinite wisdom, the leaders didn't just throw us straight into the final mission after, after simply sitting through a classroom, but we had a day of training that was specifically navigation. And if you've ever done any kind of navigation course, um, when you go from a classroom looking at a map and looking at a compass to being in a bunch of trees that every other one looks exactly the same, it gets really different. And, and, and you realize that you don't, or, or at least you feel like you don't know as much as you thought you knew. But on this particular day, um, you know, our leaders, they told us, listen, hey, you guys are going to be essentially on your own. We want you to do this. But just so you know, we're, there's always going to be a leader that can see you, right? You may not see them, but they'll always be close enough that they can see what's taking place. So if things go catastrophic, then, then you guys are going to be okay. Um, so, so that day, it was, you know, you're in the Kasachi National Forest, which is in Louisiana. Uh, it's like 1,500 degrees outside and about a million percent humidity. Uh, you're, you're fully dressed out in BDUs. You've got all of your gear that you're hauling. And so 30 minutes into it, you're just soaking wet with sweat. And so we spent all day getting from checkpoint to checkpoint to checkpoint. And, you know, there was a couple of times where leaders had to step in and say, hey, guys, here's where you went off course. Now, we could have chosen <coughs> to sit back and not learn what we needed to, to not put into practice what we had learned. Um, and simply waited for the day to, to get over instead of going through the trial. Um, and, but thankfully, we, we chose to apply ourselves. And so we make it through our training day, which at the time seemed really tough. Right? At the time, it seemed pretty, pretty grueling. We were exhausted. In fact, I remember, I remember when we got in the vehicle at the end of the day, we're driving down the road, and there was, like, it was a group of like eight of us. And we're all piled in this SUV. And we've been driving for a while. And then for some reason, we stopped, and we went in reverse. And just going in reverse, like the smell of all eight of us that was trapped in the back of that truck flooded past our nose. Everybody's like, oh, dear God, in heaven. It was the worst, most foulest smell that I've, ever had, that I've ever smelled. That's completely aside the point, but the memory just kind of hit me. It was awful. Anyway, uh, where was I going? Oh, yeah. So, 
So that was a pretty grueling experience. However, when, when the actual day of the mission came, we're eating breakfast, and they basically they come in, they say, hey, guys, here's the situation. We've got a, a couple people that are missing. So we all load up. We get all of our gear. And this time, whereas on training day, A, we knew we had a leader close by. B, we kind of got to watch as we're, like, driving down roads and back roads. We kind of had a sense of where we're going. But on, on this, and this time, basically, they blindfold you, and they go, and they put you in the middle of the woods. You've got no idea where you are. And they basically say, hey, here's your, here's your coordinates. Here's where you need to be. We've got radio contact, but they're not going to be anywhere close by. So you're set in the middle of the, national, the Kasachi National Forest. There's underbrush, there's overbrush, there's side brush, there's slanted brush. There is brush everywhere. You cannot see. I'm telling you, if you had a buddy that was 10 yards in front of you, you could not see him, right? So if we had been placed straight into that situation from just simply learning about it in a book, that would have been incredibly intimidating. I mean, there was, a, there was a level of intimidation just in it as it was. But if we had been placed, if we hadn't had the opportunity to go through the struggle when we knew that, that there was somebody close to us, when we knew that there was room to mess up, that would have been an incredibly intimidating circumstance. So God, I believe in the same way God in his infinite wisdom, he, is, he gives us opportunities that he knows will stretch us, that will pull on us, but he's given us the promise of his word that he'll never leave us or forsake us. So if we can rely on the promises of God and realize that he's actually preparing us for future battles, we can change our attitude that we have in the moment. Jesus wouldn't have said to fear not if there weren't going to be moments when there was opportunities to fear. Jesus wouldn't have said, after all of this, stand firm if there weren't going to be moments where we felt like we couldn't stand any longer. He wouldn't have told us, I'll never leave you, forsake you, if there weren't going to be moments where we felt left and forsaken. But he gave us the promise of his word, and his word never changes. So our feelings don't change who God is, right? So we need to begin to change our mindset and how we deal with the valley. Now, one of the first things that I believe, one of, the, one of the, probably the most crucial points in how we operate in the valley, and this is where uh, I, I might tick somebody off, I might hurt some feelings, and I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. But we got to stop playing the martyr. As believers, as Christians, we've got to stop playing the martyr card, right? We will choose, I can't tell how many times I've seen a post on Facebook where there's three paragraphs of here's what's wrong with my life, and then at the very end you get like a hashtag trusting Jesus, <laughs> hashtag believing. I'm like, there's no faith in that. There's no hope in that. You've elevated the circumstance. You've elevated the situation. And you've diminished what we're supposed to have, which is the hope of the world. So I believe that as believers, we, we often, there's this very fine line. There's a difference between going to another brother or sister in Christ and saying, hey, here's what I'm walking through. Can you pray with me? Can you pray with me that I'm going to find some understanding, that I'll, still, that I'll see the Lord in it? There's a difference between even unloading our cares and our concerns on God. He already knows what we're walking through, so that's okay. But there's a very fine line between just simply sharing and asking for accountability and complaining and looking for sympathy. And that's the thing, I think that's the problem to me, is that often, really, we just want people to feel bad for us. There's a reason we put things out on social media. I don't ever put stuff on social media that's like, woe is me. Like, it, and it's not because I'm prideful. It's not because I don't want people to know my issues. But here's the thing. There's enough negativity in the world, and what the world needs is the hope of Jesus. And I'm not talking about being fake, but part of not being fake is the reality that even in my circumstances and trials, God is still God. So why would I spend my time complaining and putting just junk and nastiness and, and a lack of hope on social media? If people were to read our Facebook accounts, 
our social media accounts, what would they say about our life? What would our lives on Facebook reflect? And I challenge you, go back and look at your, your homepage, whether it's, whether it's Facebook, whether it's Instagram, whatever it is, go back and look at that stuff. What does it say about your life? Does it actually reflect what you believe? Or does it reflect what you felt in a moment? I'll get off of that. I got distracted and went to take the cap off, but it was already off. I think we can learn a lesson from, from David. Psalms 23 is probably the most famous psalm that we have. Everybody knows Psalms 23, and we're going to read this together. It says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. What I love about this verse is how the psalmist phrase, frames it in here. Because see, right here in the middle, he says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. However, just before that, he says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So logic would conclude that if Jesus is leading me in paths of righteousness, and then I'm going through the valley of the shadow of death, that he's probably leading me through the valley of the shadow of death as well. Right? If logic doesn't conclude that, then we probably need to go back to basics, right? But it would, lead, it would seem to make sense that if Jesus is leading me in paths of righteousness, that he's also leading me through the valley of the shadow of death. You know, if we read the story about when Jesus was led up onto the mountain by the Holy Spirit, he was led to be tempted by the devil. Well, that just doesn't seem very nice that, that God would lead him into a place of tempting. That just doesn't seem like the, the God I serve, the God of love and the God of mercy and the God of give me my comfy couch and my AC. God, the word of God says that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. Yeah. Knowing full well that he had everything inside of him to resist the temptation of the devil. But it's after that moment with the devil and walking through the valley that God led him to. That we see really his ministry takes off. And so if God leads the psalmist through the valley of the shadow of death. And if God will lead Jesus into the wilderness. Does it not stand to reason that he's going to lead us through circumstances and trials that are uncomfortable? that might be painful, that might pull things out of us that we don't like. But look at how the psalmist refers to it. He kind of like says this is what's happening, but he's, he's sandwiched it in between the goodness of God. He's talked way more about the goodness of God, the goodness of the shepherd, and the good things, the fact that he's, he's prepared a table for him in the, in the presence of his enemies, way more than the negative stuff, way more than the problem. And so my fear is that we as believers, you know, it's okay to have that moment of venting, but my question is, are we leaving a lifestyle of venting instead of a lifestyle of praise? Are we leaving a lifestyle of negativity instead of a lifestyle of honoring God who never leaves us nor forsakes us? It goes back to the original question that do we actually believe what we say we believe, and does our lifestyle actually exemplify it, or do we just simply have all of these Christian phrases that we know we're supposed to say? Do we just have all of these Christian phrases that we know we're supposed to know? But do we actually put them into practice? Do we actually apply it to our life? And do we actually live as though our relationship with God is actually worth the valley that we might have to go through? Because I think that's another key is that oftentimes believers get discouraged and they, they feel like they've been in the valley for too long and then they just decide that following God just isn't working out for them. 
And I just have to question, you know, is following the, the God that sent his son to die for you and me, to die a gruesome death, to take away my sin, is it maybe worth walking through trials and tribulations here on this earth that I know are only temporary, that I know are only last for so long? Now, the biggest thing in all this is, is learning how to navigate the, the, the valleys because if we can learn to navigate the valleys, I think a lot of times we choose or we, we put ourselves in a position where we actually stay in the valley far too long, much longer than what God ever intended to because we refuse to learn what he's trying to show us. When we, when we choose to not have the right mindset, when we choose to, to just simply complain, when we choose to just talk about how it's unfair that we're here, we, we, don't, we miss out on the lessons that we could be learning that would actually help navigate us through those moments. So we have to begin to navigate or to learn to navigate those moments to achieve our spiritual destiny. One quick thought on the mountaintop, because I know we spent a lot of time uh, talking about the valley, the, the negative side of things. Just one, I guess, one thought process on how we operate when we're on those, in those mountaintop experiences that I would just encourage you to see them as times of refreshing, see them as times of renewal, but recognize that you won't be there long. Recognize that you'll be going down into a valley probably soon, and that's, it's going to be a pattern in your life. But the goal is that we recognize that God is with us and recognizing that we have those mountaintop experiences so that we can take those lessons that we've learned, take those lessons that we've reflected on, and actually use those to conquer the next valley. Because here's the deal. God made you to be conquerors. He made us to take territories. He said, go into the, all the earth, subdue it. He said that he's given the enemy dominion underneath our feet. He said, every place that you put your, your foot, I've given it to you. So God has created us to be conquerors. So if he's created us to conquer mountains, he's created us to conquer valleys. That's something that we can find our security and our faith in, that God has created us for this. We don't have to worry. We don't have to, have to be afraid. Just some final thoughts as we're wrapping up, just to kind of recap everything that we've talked about. Valleys are the foundation of the mountain. Without the valley, there is no mountain. So understanding that there is a valley because there is a mountain. So if we want to achieve the mountain, we've got to go through the valley. If we were made to conquer mountains, then we're made to conquer valleys. If we don't learn how to navigate the valley, then we'll never see the mountain. And refusing to learn to navigate the valley will keep you from achieving your spiritual destiny. Again, I believe that God has destined each and every one of you for greatness. He's got an amazing plan for you. But part of that has to be learned through going through times of struggle. And if we refuse, if we choose to buck the system, if we choose to just simply complain and, and, and moan and, and not gain anything from it, it will actually keep us, it will hinder us from achieving everything that God has for us. It will keep us from, from achieving our spiritual destiny, and it will keep us from helping bring others along. And I believe that that's one of our greatest callings is to help bring others up in the kingdom. Moses was able to speak with authority, they, they, they knew that he spoke on God's behalf because, because he'd actually walked through the wildernesses and then been on the mountaintop. He'd shown himself faithful in the wilderness. God knew that he could set a mantle upon Moses because he'd actually seen his character throughout the hard times. As we close this morning, I'm just going to bless us. I'm, I'm done with what I have for today. Hopefully that made sense. Hopefully that connected with your heart. But I do think it's vital that we as Christians, that we change our mentality and that we actually see uh, uh, the valleys as an opportunity to actually demonstrate joy and demonstrate faith. So Heavenly Father, we love you, God. We bless your name. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you have, you've told us that you will never leave us and that you'll never forsake us. 
God, I thank you that you give us opportunities to grow. Lord, in your infinite wisdom, you recognize that we need hardship and trial to actually pull things out of us that wouldn't happen if we just went through life with ease. God, I thank you that, that you are there to instruct us, to guide us. Lord, we can hear your voice clearly. And God, I just declare over your people that as they leave this place, God, I bless them with your presence. God, I thank you that they're going to leave this place looking more like you. God, I bless them that they are conquerors in the spirit and in the natural. God, I thank you that they are going to face their next valley with grace, with humility, with joy, with peace, and with patience. And Lord, that they're going to come out on the other side. They're going to come up on the mountaintop and realize that they've achieved spiritual fruit in their life. That they can face the next challenge with grace. And that they can help bring others along. Father God, we bless you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.